This is the Partnership for the Arts Talk Show, where we talk art. Welcome to Where We Talk Art. I'm your host, Victor Gartner. Recently, I was at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda. At one of the tables, a teacher was working on an abstract fantasy type drawing with colored pencils. I introduced myself and we talked about teaching art and her experience as an art teacher. Our guest today is that teacher. We are going to be back in just a minute. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us as we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find us on our new website at pftatalkshow.org. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Rosalie Mack, welcome to Where We Talk Art. Hi, Victor. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I'm kind of excited for us to talk a little bit about art, what it is, and about what you're doing here at the VAC in terms of classes that you're teaching, etc. But first, I want to get just a little bit of background information for our listeners. Um, you were telling me that you are one of the few people I've, I've run into this year that can say proudly, I am a native of Florida. I am a native Floridian. I was born and raised in Bradenton, Florida, graduated from Manatee High School. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think I'm pretty proud of the fact that I am a Floridian. Sure. Why not? It's a beautiful state. So many people want to be here. They do. Yes. <laughs> and they're coming in droves. <laughs> My understanding is over a thousand people a day have moved, moved to Florida. Over a thousand. That's crazy. Yeah, wow. that, that could explain why there's a bit of a housing shortage. And traffic on the road. And oh yes, traffic is amazing. But anyway, you taught or have taught art most of your life, and my understanding is that you were teaching at a public school situation. Exactly. When I first graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts, I ended up getting into advertising and graphic design for a number of years. And after having children, I got back into what my major focus was originally, and that was art education. And I retired from Charlotte High after teaching within the county 30 years. That's a and while. Then three other years in Mississippi. So a total of 33 years as an art teacher, both middle school and high school. But the last part of my career was at Charlotte High School. And I, I was in education myself. I, however, I really wasn't a teacher. I was a speech pathologist working with kids with special needs who had communication issues. Sure. Okay. Yes. You teach a variety of classes here. I do teach a variety of classes. Could you tell us what those classes are and just give us a brief overview of what each of those are? Sure. One of the classes that I really feel is super important, I think a drawing is foundational to any other kind of visual arts that you're going to do. I agree. So I start with square one and teach a from the ground up building 
type of a drawing class where we learn not only about line, but primarily about value and shape and how to work your lights and darks together. And later on, when people have their drawing skills down a little more securely, they feel a lot more confident when they go into any other kind of a color medium. So a drawing class is, is one of the classes that I teach. It's called Let's Draw. And if you ever take it, I recommend you take all 12 weeks of it as it is kind of a progressional class over the 12 weeks. I also teach a color pencil class, how to use color pencil. Color pencil is a relatively new medium compared to a lot of the other mediums that we have. I think that the onset of adult coloring books, oh, I don't know, seven, ten years ago, really brought color pencil to the foreground, more people were purchasing artist quality color pencils and started thinking, wow, I can create some really beautiful things with these materials. And artist quality color pencils are nothing like the color pencils we had when we were in fifth grade and we made maps and had to make Germany green and Austria pink <laughs> and French yellow and all of that kind of thing. So many people, especially people new to Florida, are really intrigued with all the beautiful things that they were not used to seeing other places. So I created a class called Drawing and Painting Florida in Color. Mm -hmm. And each week we focus on a specific Florida topic. It might be boats or water birds or sunsets or palm trees or reflections and it doesn't matter what color medium you have. You can be a pastel artist or an oil or acrylic painter. I've had watercolorists as well as color pencil artists. And it's all about the subject for the week as opposed to a media specific kind of class. I have an open studio with instruction, which is kind of like a shared private lesson. Everyone brings in what they want to work on, what medium they want to use. They bring in their own visual reference. And I just go from person to person helping them with what they're working on. I've had pretty much every medium that I can think of, including I had a photographer once that brought in her laptop and we worked on photo editing the shots that she'd taken, both with mm. cropping and color boosting and so forth. And it was a lot of fun to do that. In the winter, I will additionally teach a drawing specialties class. Four weeks will be on perspective. Another four weeks will be on color and composition. And the third four weeks will be on drawing faces and figures. It's not a portrait class or a life drawing class, but if you're a watercolor artist that wants to put a figure on the sailboat or in your landscape, you'll be pretty comfortable drawing a figure that looks like a human being when you finish up your landscape. I, I could use a class like that. Okay, because okay. If you look at any of my watercolor pictures, there's never a person in them. Never. And most people are afraid to put people in because they're afraid they're going to look like little stick people. Or or just ruin the picture. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've gotten this far. Now, the last thing I'm going to do is the thing that I've been avoiding the whole time is exactly. That person. But hopefully, after this four week class, you're going to feel pretty confident that you can put a figure in there and have it be a meaningful part of your composition. I might wind up taking that class. Well, that would be awesome. And then my very favorite, I think, subject of all is I teach an art appreciation art history class. And this is not your college art history class where you had to prop your eyelids open. It's very interactive (laughs) with lots of video clips. And I will do four weeks on the Impressionists and the Post-Impressionists. Another four-week session on 25 Great Women in Art. Hmm. And the final four-week session will be on the top 100 greatest works of art. So art history, I'm pretty passionate about. We have fun with it. You find out like why Vincent Van Gogh cut off his ear and all sorts of anecdotal kinds of things that go along, which I think makes the artist stories fascinating. That is interesting. Well, when you said about propping one's eyelids open, in my undergraduate years, I was taking, for the first two years, I was commuting to a community college, and I was working during the day full-time, and I was taking classes at night. So the second class of the night, which ran like from, I don't know, maybe like 7 to 9.30 or something like that, was this art appreciation class. And he would talk for a moment or two, and then he would shut off all of the lights, turn on a projector, and would be showing these slides. And I would say, I, I can't even stay awake, you know. So me and I would say probably four or five other people would just quietly get up and leave the classroom <laughs> before before the half hour was over. And I did this on a regular basis. And I'm ashamed to admit that I was doing something that devious um, when I probably could have benefited if I just had the patience and the maturity to have stayed in the classroom. But I can so relate to that. My art history class in college was at 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm. In the winter, when it was dark and you're trying to pry yourself out of bed to even get there in the same situation, turn the lights out and just drone on. Yep, that's what it was. (laughs) Just like you said. (laughs) All right, now at the Art Center, we have a a number of ongoing classes, and I'm sure these ones that you just talked about are are ongoing classes. Mm -hmm. So let's let's say you have 10 people that you can accommodate in your class, and six or seven of them are folks who have continued with with you. You know, they enjoy you as a teacher and they're they're learning and they want to continue being your student. But now here comes three or four newbies who you've never met before and they've never perhaps taken a class here at the Visual Arts Center before. How do you get them to where they need to be when you have this diversity of levels in your classroom? Well, I think that's one advantage of having been a public school art teacher because the subject of art, you would never, you'd have 35 kids maybe in a class. Mm -hmm. And you might have 2D art, drawing and painting, um, AP, which is college level art, all thrown in the same class. Right. So I don't, that doesn't really fluster me. I teach to the beginners 
but those that are back always say they learn by hearing it again. But I usually get them started with more advanced work, like maybe the um, images, the photo images that they're going to be using would be a little bit more challenging or so forth. And then they just listen as I begin, you know, to teach about some of the more basic things. But they're already working and moving on because okay. they they know it. They know how to put what I'm saying into practice. So it works out pretty well. All right. So is, is everyone asked to work on the same project? In other words, are you, are you providing the one and only uh, subject for that, for that particular class? For session? my drawing class, pretty much, yes, because I've pretty much curated things that I know people are going to have success at. They might get mm -hmm. three or four options. They don't necessarily draw exactly the same thing, but they can choose from the things that I'm giving them. I think one thing that especially beginners have trouble with is they want to draw or paint something that they're very emotionally attached to, like their grandchild, for right. example. And you're kind of setting yourself up for failure unless you have some pretty great skills to be able, if you make the grandchild look like a human being to begin with, much less your grandchild. Yes. That's a pretty high skill set to have to have. Right. That's a challenging so, thing. Yes. Right. So we start out with things that pretty easy to achieve some success with for the lesson that we had for the day. Um, and... Drawing and Painting Florida, for example, they always know what the topic is going to be. Next week, we're going to be doing palm trees. I will have photo images that they can choose from, but they always have the option to bring in their own as well. That's a good thing to know because I, 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 often, wonder, I often wonder about how classes such as the one you were just talking about manage new students. And I, I've, I've taken classes such as watercolor class and... Maybe there are 12 of us who have taken two series of classes with the, the instructor. And then here comes this person who says, I, I want to learn to watercolor. And they come with this little kitty set of watercolors, you know, where you have to wet each little pot. Start in, they've got this 50 cent brush that they... <laughs> to go with they know absolutely nothing you know thinking okay well how's this going to work out but it's good to see that a teacher can sit down with a student like that and spend quite a bit of time with them because the rest of the people have a pretty good idea of what they're doing mm -hmm. yeah. so the teacher absolutely. doesn't really have to go over there or she can just he or she can just say does anybody need help right now and if nobody says yes well then she can just continue to work with that one person Works out well. It's funny that you mentioned the, the little kid set of watercolors. I was just talking to my class this morning about the importance of having artist quality supplies mm. and how much you're going to fight yourself if you have super inexpensive supplies. It's just hard. I had someone think they were going to start. They're quite accomplished in color pencil and decided they wanted to work with acrylic, which I'm like, sure, I can help you with that. And the acrylics they brought in were, like, terrible. I mean, that's the only way I can put them. There was hardly any pigment. It was just all this, oh. like, gel with just a little bit of pigment. And they got so frustrated that why they couldn't look good. Mm -hmm. So I had her literally go get some other supplies. And she was just telling the class, 
oh my gosh, what a difference. All right. So. Yes, for those real inexpensive sets, you can spend less for the entire set than you can of one tube of quality paint. Exactly. And I can see why that would be somewhat daunting for a person who wants to start acrylic painting or oil painting Mm -hmm. and think, well, I'm not even sure if I'm going to like this. I'm not even sure if I want to continue with this. And yet brushes can cost me $30 a piece. A tube can cost me over twenty dollar mm-hmm. a piece. I mean, that, that's that's a lot to bite off if, if you're just investigating. I agree. I agree. And it's usually on the first day of my classes. I don't usually provide a supply list because I want to talk about products the first day, oh, and I will bring okay. in like my own color pencils and my own. When I taught pastel, I would bring in my own pastels and let them see kind of the differences. And I would say I'd much rather you have a set of eight good pastels than 36 cheap ones Mm. because you're just going to be more successful with them. All right. Good point. Okay, Rosalie, I think this is a good time for us to take a break. So listeners, don't go anywhere because we are going to be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Janie Duke from the Glass Duchess Studio. I listen to my favorite podcast, Where We Talk Art. So we are back and we had a little break. And Rosalie and I were talking about a couple of things that we would like to bring to the forefront on the second half of this discussion. And one of those was about people being concerned about where they fit in relationship, their, their abilities, where, how it fits in relationship to everybody else in the class. You know, and sometimes I'm very much like that when I start on a new area of, of skills. So, for instance, um, I'd say about a year or two ago, I was taking a class by Robert Provone, who taught here for a while, on doing portraits with charcoal. And I wasn't so sure how I was going to do, and I was kind of overwhelmed at the first first class, the second class. I didn't think I was catching on. Why is this taking me so much time? And I'm looking at what, what other people I'm doing. Like, oh, my gosh, I don't even have it laid out yet on my paper. And and people are working on the eyes, the eyebrows, the hair, and all this. Oh, I'm so embarrassed, you know. I don't belong here. That, that kind of feeling, mm-hmm. you know. So how do you, how do you help deal with people who are coming in? They're a little anxious and they're saying, oh, maybe I'm not really ready for this. Yeah. I think on day one, I know in my classes, I really try to explain that the only person that you should measure your work against is you and your work. And I encourage people to put put dates on the back, maybe not the day, but the month and the year, and then have a designated, I don't know, a box or Mm -hmm. a tub that you slide under your bed or a file folder or something that you kind of keep your work, even the bad ones. Don't throw them away, the ones that you're unhappy with. But kind of keep them in an order. And then after you've started on something new, then maybe in four or five months, go back and look at what you're doing now compared to what you did originally. And we have to understand that as human beings, 
we're all competitive. We want to be the best one in the class, of course. That's just human nature. But in art, some of the people that are sitting around you may have had a lot more art experiences or even media experiences. Maybe it's a pastel class and maybe they've worked with pastel for several years and they're still in the same class you are and you've never even held pastels and don't know that they get messy and you don't blow and have the dust come all up in your face and all that kind of stuff that yes. you learn when you're working with them. <laughs> Big full pie. But yes. yeah, exactly. But it's so important to just, and by the same token, it's important for everyone else in the class to recognize here we've got newbies. Mm-hmm. I've been really fortunate that most of the students in my class when they recognize somebody that was brave enough to come for the first day, they are so supportive and so helpful and encouraging and uplifting to them. And I can't honestly say that I've ever had somebody say, Oh, this isn't for me. I'm, you know, I think everybody's felt that it doesn't matter what your skill level is. By the end of, they might have come in feeling that way, but by the end of class, I think the atmosphere of a good art class is you feel supported no matter where you are. And just imagine you're somebody going to try and shoot free throws for the first time and somebody Mm -hmm. else is right under that basketball goal that's done this for three years. You're not going to get as many as they are, but if you practice it for a month, you're going to be a whole lot better than you were the first day you showed up. Same thing is so true for art. It's the experience and the practice. Yes. Great comments. Thank you. Yes. Why? If you never had a student who who dropped out on you saying, I can't do this or whatever, boy, that's saying a lot about how well you're able to make adjustments. Well, I think that's just the measuring stick like of any good art class that you just feel – you're supported no matter what level, not specifically my classes. I'm not trying to, you know, toot my own horn or anything. But, yeah, I think it's important to just kind of establish that culture in your classroom. So Very good. All right. My next question is related to a new student, not me. But I'm thinking, okay, here's a scenario. You are doing individual instruction, one-on-one instruction. And somebody comes in who says, I can't even draw a stick figure. I'm not sure I even belong here, but my wife paid for these lessons. And so here I am. What do you think are the, the really important building blocks that this person you want to have an idea about before they walk out the door that first session? I can't even begin to tell you how many times I have heard that, (laughs) both when I was teaching public school art and now with adults walking Mm -hmm. in. It's like, okay, you chose to take this class or somebody chose for you to take (laughs) this class. (laughs) But seriously, we start with such baby steps that Mm -hmm. you can't not be successful at the beginning. Like, For example, my drawing, which I said is foundational to everything. The first thing we literally do is start by creating a value scale. Yes. It's so important not just to have as a reference for future use, but 
The whole time they're making it, I'm showing them how to hold the pencil, how to use the edge of the pencil, how to, the pressure, adjusting the pressure, how to, instead of just a line going back and forth, color with little ovals and so forth, and how to, and they're like amazed at the end, like, wow, I never knew I could make an area look that soft. I never knew my pencil could go that dark. I'd get mm-hmm. all sorts of comments, but it's such it's a singular thing that everybody's ends up coming out fine, but they've learned so much by doing it. And then the images that I choose for the very first drawings are kind of um, fault-free, maybe. Um, a part of a daisy, not even a whole daisy where they're going to, you know, question, is my daisy symmetrical? But it's going to be maybe two-thirds of a daisy. And it probably shows several different textures and a whole range of values where they're going to have to recreate the darks, the lights, the softness, the edges, right? all of the things that they had to do for the value scale. So when I say baby steps, I've had people that have painted for years and then felt like, oh, I just hit a ceiling because I can't really draw things all that well. And their painting teachers have said, you know what? You know how to push this paint around, but you need to take a drawing class. Hmm. So they come to me and they start at square one, two. So it just, I think sometimes as adults specifically, we jump into things feet first and instantly expect because we're adults that we don't need to have some of the baby steps. Okay. And then they find, oh, wow, now I see why this was really important. Mm-hmm. And children, my experience is that, that children are so bold in comparison to adults who are afraid to, to, to fail. It's so funny because people ask me, well, what's the difference in teaching adults than teaching kids? And the first thing I say, well, I don't ever have to send anybody to the office. So that's the first thing. But the second thing, my comment, and I think you'll understand it when I say, if I told my high school class, okay, we're going to do a still life. And I define what a still life is, a collection of inanimate objects. No, Johnny, you can't draw your cat. That's not a still life. Mm. And I just see their brains clicking of like, what's the weirdest pile of stuff that I could possibly put on a table or on the floor to draw? And they're like almost in competition with each other. Like, I'm going to do my dirty clothes pile or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do the stack of dirty dishes in the sink or, you know, something like that. Right. If I talk to my adults, define what a still life is, instantly it's this choice. Hmm, should I do fruit or flowers? Fruit or flowers? And that's it. And it's it's just so illustrative of how we lose that creativity, that challenge to be a little off the beaten path. We just right. have to color in the lines, I guess would be a good way. As an adult, we've we've lost that urge to to just be very different. Mm. And I have to kind of try and stoke that fire again as people get more advanced. Well, yeah, you could do this, but have you ever thought about let's incorporate this or 
I don't know, trying to, oh yeah, you know, I never would think of that. But it's just something that happens, I guess, from childhood, we lose a lot of that innate creative mind. Yes. I don't sure. know. Yeah. They're not in, the, their minds aren't in a box yet. Right. Right. My youngest daughter in kindergarten one time was all upset. She brought home a palm tree that had been, everybody was, I, I guess they were talking, whatever the lesson was, had something to do with palm trees, and they were allowed to color them. And hers was marked off because she had rainbow colors in her palm tree. And the teacher was very, you know, said, palm trees don't look like this. And I'm like, okay, honey, your mom is an art teacher. So I did make that parent-teacher conference just to Mm -hmm. talk. It wasn't, I wasn't, you know, upset with the teacher. We both laughed, but I'm like, why can't you have a rainbow palm tree? Why not? And I know. Especially in the child's mind. But it's, yeah, it's just funny. We, as adults, just tend to um, narrow our focus a lot. Yes. I have a question about art itself. The question is, what is art? Ah, that existential question. What is art? Well, I truly think that art is different to different people. And obviously, we have visual arts and performing arts. I think art innately is one of the purest forms of communication that there can be. And I think good art, whether it's performance art or visual art, reaches out to you and engages you in either staring, watching, or listening to it so that you can't not look at it. You're intrigued by it. You want to spend more time looking at it and looking at the parts and trying to figure out what the artist was trying to say or what the performance or the song means, the combination of of lyrics with the instrumental or whatever. I just think it's hard to walk away from good art in whatever form that it's served up to you as. And my students, I like to take them in the galleries Mm -hmm. and talk to them about, you know, okay, well, look around, you know, what catches your eyes, Joe? And why did that draw your attention? I think art speaks to us so individually based on our prior life experiences, as well as our personal tastes, especially more abstract kinds of things. I mean, I might look at the same work and just have this emotion evoked of being on a grandmother's farm when I was a little girl, you know, in a field of daisies rolling down the hill. And somebody else might look at it and feel sad because it reminded them of the color of their favorite cat that they lost when they were a kid. And it'll just evoke different feelings in different Mm. people. But I think that's what makes it so special is we don't have to feel the same way when we look at it. We don't have to like the same things. Right. I, I rarely ask myself when I look at a piece of art, what was the artist trying to say? You know, if it's a barn, they just did a picture of a barn. That's all because they liked the barn for some reason. I'm, I'm not trying to get 
deep into it, mm-hmm. but this, when something is a bit more abstract, um, such as the prize-winning uh, painting that we had in the international show here last, which was a black background and an orange-red kind of lines coming down diagonally in all different mm-hmm. kinds of angles. And it was interesting to look at. I have to say, it was interesting to look at, but I don't think that there was a message behind it. I think when I teach um, how to look at art and analyze art, um, one of the things that is a good clue for if the artist is trying to say something, take a look at what they've titled it. Mm. Sometimes it's like very insightful to try and, you know, figure it out. And I think you're right. Sometimes people just, you know, put up shapes, colors, they're pleasing and they're happy with it. But a lot of artists really do try and say a little bit more, especially your higher level artists that we saw like in the national show Mm -hmm. this year. Well, you mentioned, well, you used the phrase good art a bit earlier, a couple of minutes ago. And to me, art is very, very subjective. Is there a way to objectify art so that if you saw four or five pieces of art lying on a table, you could say, this is the best one? And could you justify why it's the best one? Well, every judge is faced with that, aren't they? When they come to judges' show. Exactly. And I think if you had 10 judges at the same show, there would be some overlap. Mm -hmm. But I think there would be pieces that other judges didn't pick. Right. Best of show would probably be different. As an art teacher, especially by parents, like, why did my child get a C? You know, how, how can, why is his art not as good as other people's art and so forth? When you're evaluating art for a grade, it's not like math where, you know, you got the problem wrong or right or whatever. So we literally had to come up with a rubric for every class, and the student had to know how they were going to be evaluated. Did it fill the page? Did it use a full range of colors? Was care and attention spent to brushwork or drawing strokes, you know, blending, things like that? Hmm. But every student for every lesson would know how they would be evaluated. Um, I really like that idea. So that is a great way to set it up. It's really, honestly, you know, a good way to think about it. Now, I've judged some like of the student shows and so forth here. Mm -hmm. And usually there's more than one judge. And when we come together, I think as artists, we know that the basic principles and elements of art, how they're being used in a work of art. That can make it successful visually. And then I think that it's got that added appeal of whatever creative aspect that the artist has brought into it, like an underlying message. Is there, Mm -hmm. you know, some symbolism involved or is it just technically spectacular? I mean, there's a lot of, you've heard of probably of the three C's of art which is craftsmanship, the technical ability, the composition is, are all the parts working well together. And then the third most elusive thing, 
the creative aspect of it. So I think for me, really great art easily passes the first two things. The composition's got to be great. Every artist that's in an advanced situation should know a lot about composition, should know their craft really, really well. And then how far have they taken the creative side of it? Either, and it doesn't have to be an underlying meeting. It can be like a crazy use of color, you know, something, an angle that nobody else you don't really see, a still life that maybe you're below the table looking up instead of looking down, angles, things like that can you know, what have they done with it creatively that makes it a little more unique? Mm-hmm. I like the way you're thinking about this. Very good. You, you've, you've given me some food for thought, Rosalie. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, Rosalie, is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we wrap things up for today? I just want to say that I think all of us have that little creative bug inside of us looking for a way to get out and visual arts performing arts are such a great way like to let that escape it's almost like a freeing kind of thing so if you've thought about taking a class I encourage you to do it yes do it you won't regret it you shouldn't regret it It will be fun. And you make a lot of friends that have the same common goals in mind. And the people here, and I'm sure at other art centers everywhere, are very, I think, caring and supporting of each other and encouraging. Mm -hmm. So it's a good family to kind of adopt yourself into. Yes, I find the classes here to be supportive and uh, in many ways therapeutic. Oh, absolutely absolutely is right well Rosalie we've had a great talk oh I enjoyed it me too you've given me a lot to think about this was a great interview thank you so much for coming and and allowing us to use some of your time I appreciate that you're so very welcome you're a busy woman and to our listeners I thank you very much for dropping in and listening to us and I always have a little something that I encourage you to do and I'm glad that Rosalie did kind of the same thing today she said take that class don't be shy go and take that class and as I've been saying the last couple of episodes inside of all of us there's this artist just trying to break out so give it an opportunity yes do something you've never done before and you might be the next top artist for all you know you never know and you'll never know if you don't try. So, my friends, until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 